On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers keep bringing new names into the building, but this time one is on the personnel side. We'll catch up on the latest moves and discuss whether a colleague of Matt LaFleur's is making a big mistake. Then let's start our season review process by breaking down the Packers' 2018 rookies. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very excited to be with you here as we uh, dive into what I think is an important episode of Blue 58. Um, We are starting our season review process. This is one of my favorite times of the year. We go back and look at every player, every game, just kind of talk our way through every part of the 2018 season or the previous season. Uh, This is a lot of fun. We're going to be doing it a little bit different this year than we did in previous years. In 2016 and 2017, We actually did an individual post on every single player. We're still going to be doing the same amount of content, but we're not going to be breaking them down into individual posts for every player because that got to be a little bit time intensive. So we're going to go position group by position group throughout the entire team and break out a single post on the most individual or most the player, the individual player from that position group who kind of most typifies that position for this year. Makes sense? Good. Um, In addition to that, we are doing this podcast, and we are going to be talking about uh, the rookie class of 2018, just the drafted rookies, because we've got some other stuff in the works uh, for the undrafted free agent crew and some of the lower-end roster players uh, for our season recap series this year. We're also going to spend a few podcast episodes going game by game through the season. It'll be fun. Uh, A lot of good stuff coming up. I'm excited to do it, and we kind of kick that off today. So be watching for that at thepowersweep.com. Anyway, stuff going on that affects 2019 as we look towards the future. The Packers are finally making some of these rumored coaching and personnel moves official. A few people officially joined the organization today, yesterday as you're listening to this, or earlier in the week. You get it. You know how time works. Milt Hendrickson is the first and foremost of these names. He gets the position of director football operations. This move has been in the works for a while, and I do mean a while. Uh, we first got wind of this, uh, I think about a month ago, actually, that the, there was something in the works here. But um, Brian Gutekunst actually wanted to hire Hendrickson away from the Baltimore Ravens a year ago when he first got the job of general manager in Green, Green Bay. But he, uh, Hendrickson was still under contract uh, for another season with the Ravens. That is now over, so he can join Brian Gutekunst in Green Bay. Now, he gets Elliot Wolf's old job, director-football operations. That is a key distinction because Russ Ball is the director of football operations. Confusing? Yes. Different? I suppose so. Um, Essential? You be the judge there. I understand why you have to have these different director positions because all has to do with organizational structure and how much people get paid and, and things like that. But you could, could you be a little bit more creative with the naming? If you're going to have a director dash football operations like Hendrickson or Elliot Wolf or whoever, and his job is to do football related decisions, I, that makes sense, I guess. If you're going to have a director of football operations who does different things, find a different thing to make him a director of. We all know Russ Ball does all the cap stuff for the Packers. He's the uh, the holder of the purse, I guess. 
So make him like director of cap operations or director of player finance or something like that. It doesn't take a whole lot to be creative and come up with a different title there. That's about all I have to say about Milt Hendrickson, I guess. Uh, He needs a different title. And Russ Ball needs a different title. Maybe Hendrickson needs the same title and Russ Ball is the one who needs a different title. At any rate, Milt Hendrickson is part of the Packers now. And uh, we can expect, I guess, some further news about him as things wear on here. We do have a couple names that are back, well, officially now with the Packers. Um, Justin Outen is in as tight ends coach officially. We've talked about him before, so we won't go into too much detail there. Same with Adam Stenovich. He, we talked about him a little bit not too long ago either. His connections to Matt LaFleur, I think, are interesting in that they go back to when Adam Stenovich was a player with the Houston Texans, and Matt LaFleur was a very, very low-level coach with the Houston Texans. Finally, the Packers have added Kirk Olivadotti as their inside linebackers coach as Mike Pettin begins to fill out that side of the Packers staff. This distinction, I think, is an interesting one because this means the Packers are going to hire, in theory, at least one more linebackers coach. Olivadotti's been named the inside linebackers coach. He's been in that position for quite some time with Washington in two different stints there. He spent 16 seasons as a coach in the NFL, all of them with the Washington Redskins, as we read from his Packers.com bio. Um, Washington's defense has been pretty good over the past decade to 16 years or so while Olivadotti's been there and a little bit at the time while he wasn't. Uh, again, he's coached the inside linebackers from 2011 through 2013. He was with Georgia where he also coached inside linebackers. And then previous to that, he was with Washington again in a variety of roles dating back to the year 2000. Actually a former wide receiver in college. Uh, he got his start in coaching at the Marine Maritime Academy in 1997, has also coached at Indiana State go Sycamores. Again, seems like a fairly well-qualified guy. um, And I think it is interesting here that he is just the inside linebackers coach, not the all linebackers coach. That's something that's been common to Mike Pettin slash Rex Ryan slash, I guess, Brian Billick defenses for quite some time. That's not all that unusual. And it's interesting, I guess, in that it carries over here to the Packers. We spent a lot of time over the past few episodes, past few weeks, talking about philosophy in assistant coach hiring. One of the things we've talked about is that assistant coaches, while important, may not be all that important. And fit may be the most important thing. That seems to be the approach that Matt LaFleur has taken over the past couple weeks. As he's gone fairly slowly, it seems safe to say, fairly slowly through this process, perhaps slower than we would have anticipated. I bring that up because Kyle Shanahan was speaking this week about a decision he made recently. And Shanahan is an interesting connection because of his relationship to Matt LaFleur and that they kind of came up in the NFL together. LaFleur actually worked for Shanahan um, in Atlanta and in Washington if you view the offensive coordinator as being his boss, and I think that's, that is accurate. So it's interesting to see their approaches being a little bit different. A couple different assistants to, Lef- uh, not, to not to LaFleur, to Shanahan in San Francisco, had opportunities this offseason to interview for other jobs. 
One of the most notable ones was Mike LaFleur. You may recognize that last name as it is the same as the Green Bay Packers' new head coach. They are the same because they are brothers. Mike LaFleur is Matt LaFleur's brother. LaFleur, the, mag- the Mike one, not the Matt one, is currently San Francisco's passing game coordinator, and he had an opportunity to interview with the Minnesota Vikings, probably to be their offensive coordinator, but also to come and talk to uh, Matt LaFleur about an opportunity in Green Bay. And Shanahan didn't allow him to even interview for the job. And in an article with uh, ProFootballTalk.com, maybe not originally from ProFootballTalk, they tend to aggregate a lot of stuff, but I found it on ProFootballTalk. Shanahan explained why at length. Quote, it wasn't a promotion. Mike and Mike, the other coach's name was Mike, I gave them the coordinator title before the year started. That's what they do for us. They are under contract, so that one was a very easy one for me. I listened to everyone, every request. I would not feel guilty or bad. I know the situation they're in here and what they've done, what we've done together for a long time. I know how important they are here and what they do here. Why would I let them go do that for someone else? End quote. Why not indeed? Well, I can think of a few reasons. First, why would you not let someone go work for his brother? That seems like a weird hill to die on, right? I know you're under contract here, but you've got an opportunity to go elsewhere. And heck, it's your brother. That's fine. You can go talk to him. And furthermore, to that same point, why would you demand somebody stick around? Not even demand, prevent them from leaving if they don't want to be there. What does that do to your work environment? It's a contract, says Shanahan. So what? Contracts get broken all the time. No contract, especially an employment contract, is worth the paper it's printed on. People get cut out of contracts all the time. It happens every single day. The only time a contract matters is when somebody wants to leave before their contract is up. You think if Shanahan wanted to fire Mike LaFleur... LaFleur could have said, sorry, I've got a contract. Can't fire me. No, of course not. There's a whole industry in our country built around the idea of people not having to honor contracts or wanting to find technicality in their contracts. That's a lot of what lawyers do is work through these contracts and find ways out or ways to get more things out of them or whatever. That's just a a, a red herring there throwing up. He's got a contract. He's got to stay. So what? Deal with your people a little better. Then he closes it off by saying, why would I let them go do that for somebody else? Do what exactly? If one of your assistants is so important to what you do that you couldn't do it without him, he should be the head coach, not you. He's the essential one, apparently, not you. I just don't understand this mentality of coaches preventing people from interviewing with other other organizations. I didn't understand it with when Mike McCarthy did it. Doesn't make sense when Kyle Shanahan is doing it. If a guy's got an opportunity to advance or if a guy wants to leave, let him leave. You've got nothing to gain by forcing someone to stay in an employment employment situation where they don't want to be. This is one area where I think it's legit to say um to compare like apples to apples the business world to football. I don't like to do that, you know, guys, it's always a guy complaining about a, a coach not or a player, excuse me, 
not showing up or not doing something. You know, if I was doing that, if I was in his position, well, you're not in his position. He's a professional athlete. He's trained for years and years and years to do this one very specific job. And he's got a very limited window in which to do it. A coach is not quite the same as a player. And there's a lot more parallels between sports and the real world here. And this is a situation where I think you can really judge someone as a business leader more than as a quote unquote football guy. And as a business leader in this situation, I think Kyle Shanahan is off base. I know that's not Packers specific, but I thought it was interesting to bring up considering uh, how Matt LaFleur's coaching situation and coaching search has played out. Let's talk about rookies, the Packers 2018 rookies in particular. I thought it made sense to start our season evaluation project with a small, relatively easily easy to define group. The great thing about rookies is twofold. First, they have a small, very easy to measure time period that you can just take as its own thing. Everybody's got a rookie season. We're going to talk about their rookie seasons. Second, you know that they are hopefully going to grow. So you can base some of your evaluation both on what they did this year and what you hope they will do in the future. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two things for each of these guys. Well, maybe not all of them. We'll explain. We're going to look at each guy's rookie season and try to figure out what he was. And then we're going to try to predict the floor and the ceiling for each guy next year. We want to see what sort of range these guys might have in the future. Sound good? Good. Let's go. Starting with the first round pick, Jair Alexander. Some key stats on Jair Alexander. One interception in 2018, two fumbles forced, half a sack. He led the team in our ball hawk index with 12 and a half. Pretty good for a rookie. Also returned a couple punts, but most importantly, he played just over 71% of the defensive snaps in 2018. He's one of only four players to play more than 70% of the snaps on the year. Tremont Williams played the most snaps, Blake Martinez right up there with him, and finally Clay Matthews was the only other person to play more than 70% of the defensive snaps in 2018. What do we make of Alexander's rookie season? What was he? I think he was about everything you could hope a rookie defensive back could be, but also a rookie. He showed that he was capable of defending guys like Brandon Cooks and Julio Jones, But sometimes he also just looked like a rookie who was defending guys like Brandon Cooks and Julio Jones. And maybe more specifically, Adam Thielen. Thielen at times this year made him look like a rookie receiver, or rookie cornerback, excuse me, trying to cover a more experienced route runner. Alexander made it difficult for Thielen to get his catches, particularly when the Packers played at Minnesota this year, but Thielen still did pretty well matched up one-on-one against him. All things considered, though, I think Alexander was everything the Packers hoped he could be this year. Played outside, played inside, played with tenacity and energy, and he looked like a legit corner, which is something the Packers have not had almost since probably Charles Woodson hung it up. So what's the floor and ceiling for Jair Alexander in 2019? The floor would probably be about where he is right now. It's hard to see him taking significant steps back, just given the kind of player that he is, the kind of way that he played this year. And that would be pretty good. If Alexander was no better in 2019 than he was this year, it would be a disappointment to be sure, but it wouldn't be terrible. You could do a lot worse than have Jair Alexander play like he did in 2018 in 2019. The ceiling on Alexander is 
very good, I think. I would think it wouldn't be a stretch to say that he could play at close to a Pro Bowl level next year. I'm not saying he will be a Pro Bowl player next year, but the best version of year two Jair Alexander could be a Pro Bowl type talent. And I don't think that's a super big stretch. We see young defensive backs have more success than ever now in the NFL. Alexander could just be the next guy. His counterpart in the defensive backfield is a little bit tougher to evaluate. Maybe not tougher, but maybe the evaluation comes down a little bit tougher. Josh Jackson, the Packers' second-round pick in 2018. Some key numbers on him. No interceptions, but 10 ball hawks, third on the team. All 10 of those ball hawks were passes defensed. He got that one pretty cool punt block touchdown. That was neat. And he played 718 snaps as a rookie, just under 67.5%. Not too bad. What was he as a rookie? Probably about what you'd expect from a rookie defensive back. A little bit shaky at times, pretty good at times. Overall, just looking like he was still getting used to it all. And this is, I think, where that lack of speed that you see with Josh Jackson comes into play. Rookies, especially defensive backs, and to a lesser extent guys like wide receivers, I think, are more physically oriented than technique oriented. They have to learn how to play in a league where everybody is as fast and athletic as they are. And Josh Jackson was not there yet in 2018. He may never get there. To be honest, some guys don't ever figure that out. There's a lot of super athletic players who can't get used to the idea of everybody else being a super transcendent athlete too. Jackson is not a super transcendent athlete among other professional athletes compared to normal people. Of course he is, but among professional athletes, he's not super exceptional. And that's fine. You don't have to be to be an NFL football player. And he could get to a point, I think, where he gets comfortable being professional level Josh Jackson. So what is his floor and what is his ceiling? I think the floor for Josh Jackson, and this is going to sound negative, but I assure you it's not. The floor for Josh Jackson is probably like peak Quentin Rollins in 2019. Not 2019 Quentin Rollins, peak Quentin Rollins next year. What I mean by that is this. Rollins was another guy who had good ball skills but wasn't particularly fast but made the most of it. Rollins, unfortunately, never figured out how to play with guys who were faster than him and then he got the worst injury that a defensive back can possibly get and then it was all over. But before that and before those injuries really started to pile up his rookie season and second season, I think he was okay-ish to pretty good for a while. And Josh Jackson is probably better than that already. If that's all the better he gets, that would be concerning. But that's probably he's probably no worse than that next year. The ceiling for Josh Jackson in 2019 is probably this year's model of Bashad Breland. And Breland is a perfect kind of model player for Josh Jackson. Jackson, a little bit lacking in speed, so is Breland. Josh Jackson, 6 feet tall, Breland 5 foot 11. Jackson, 196. Breland, 195. Both rely on length and positioning. Both have pretty good ball skills. I think that's a good model for Josh Jackson. And if he can be like Bashad Breland in 2019, that's pretty good for the Packers because then you hopefully have a healthy Kevin King, a Jair Alexander, and then another quality defensive back to add to the mix. You've got three good corners. 
you're well on your way. Not too bad. Moving right along, let's talk about Oren Burks. Key stats for Mr. Burks come down to snap counts. He played 122 snaps on defense this year, 99 fewer than Jermaine Whitehead, and only 10 more than Ibrahim Campbell. So kind of use those as your benchmarks in your head. Quite a bit less than a guy who wasn't even around to the end of the season, only 10 more than a guy who was only on the active roster for like a month. Not super great. So what was Oren Burks this year? To me, he reminds me a little bit in reputation and performance of Josh Jones in 2017, except without the really good Cincinnati Bengals game. Burks, and maybe this was just me, but Burks was supposed to be kind of a disruptive guy with potential to grow into a pretty big role for the 2018 Packers. He ended up just being kind of athleticism and potential. And I would like to use this opportunity to drop a great quote from Frank Pollock, the guy who was rumored to be in contention for the Packers offensive line coach job. Potential in 50 cents gets you a cup of coffee. Long way, short way, pithy way of saying that uh, potential doesn't get you a whole lot. Potential is great. Unrealized potential is just nothing. And that's kind of what Oren Burks was in 2018. 2019 could be a little bit different though. The floor me, to extend the metaphor, is probably like 2018 Josh Jones. He could end up getting more snaps, but probably almost by accident as much as anything else. That wouldn't be great, but the ceiling could be like 85% of year two Blake Martinez. Martinez is interesting as a case study because he's another guy who probably got too much put on his plate early. And if you look at how Burke's snap counts played out over this year, played a fair amount early in the season got a big spike towards the middle of the season, and then really flamed out. Martinez was kind of the same way for the Packers. He played a whole ton as a rookie, but he had a lot of responsibility early, probably more than he should have. He was wearing the communications helmet almost right out of the gate. That was too much. Very clearly became too much. And I think that's kind of where Burks could have been in 2018. The Packers surely would have liked him to contribute more, and it just didn't come together. He's a lot like Jamon Moore, just didn't seem to get what was going on out there. He needs to figure out where he belongs on the field. And if he does, I think he could still be very good. Jamon Moore. This one's a tough one. Not so much tough to evaluate because there's not a whole lot to evaluate, but tough in that if you're the Packers and you've got a fourth round pick who only plays 74 snaps, you're not doing super hot. The only Packers wide receivers... Who spent, on the, uh, who spent time on the active roster in 2018, who had fewer snaps than Jamon Moore, were Alan Lazard, who had one snap on offense, and Trevor Davis, who had zero. That's pretty astonishing. Even as a rookie, Trevor Davis was more involved than Jamon Moore. Just a disappointing season through and through, and Moore even admitted it was just because he couldn't grasp the offense. That says a lot about the coaches and a lot about him, Uh, but all around, just a disappointment. Failures on both ends, coaching and on the player side, just uh, just not great. What was he in 2018? A big disappointment. Moore is the highest drafted Packers wide receiver since Ty Montgomery in 2015. He comes with an asterisk because he ended up being a running back. And before that, you have to go all the way back to Randall Cobb in 2011 to find a receiver drafted higher than Jamon Moore. This is a pretty significant 
disappointment. Oh, my wife's in the kitchen. Can you hear her footsteps? She's making pie. A little bit distracted because there's pie happening in our house. Two pies, actually. Anyway, do you like pie? Is pie better than cake? I get in that discussion with people more often than you'd think. I am a pie person, not a cake person. Here's my, my pie versus cake discussion. Cake is pretty much the same no matter what flavor of cake you have because cake ends up being all about the toppings. But pie is an entire experience because everything in the pie is important. You can have different varieties of crust. You can have different fillings. You can have like a mousse type filling, a custard pie, a uh, cream pie, which is what my wife is making right now. And uh, just a lot of different varieties. I think there's more varieties of pie than cake. That's a little bonus content for you there, pie versus cake. What do you think? Pie better, cake better. If it was my birthday, I would aim for a pie over a birthday cake, but that's just me. That's how my dad was when I was growing up too. He also likes pie better than cake. This is way more information that you wanted, but these are the things that I think about. And I think, you know, you and I are close enough now that we can talk about things in our lives a little bit more than work stuff. You know, this is Packers. So there's more to us than just the Packers, right? I think so. Anyway, back to Jamon Moore. Disappointment. Like cake sometimes, right? A lot of promise in cake. You think it's going to be great, and it ends up just kind of being cake. Unlike the pie. Now I'm thinking about pie too much. Anyway, what's the floor and ceiling for Jamon Moore in 2019? The floor is cut. No more Jamon Moore. If he can't perform in training camp, that's, that's going to be it. There's no reason to keep him around because Moore, for as much as he played on special teams, is not of the caliber of a guy who should be around just for special teams play. He doesn't have the speed of a Trevor Davis or the return ability of a Trevor Davis or the speed and power combination of a guy like Jeff Janis. As soon as the Packers had better options, even marginally better options on special teams, they put him out there ahead of more. So as much as he was getting playing time on punt cover, that that's not going to be his calling card. The ceiling is probably the archetype of a guy like rookie year Geronimo Allison, a guy who earns the trust of Aaron Rodgers and is able to kind of utilize that trust in some key moments. If Moore can figure it out, catch the ball more reliably, he could be that kind of player. And I think there is a lot to like about his physical game too, but he's got a ways to go. Not so Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Key numbers on him in 2018, 15.3 yards per reception, 200-yard games, and 10 explosive plays in our explosive play metric. What was he? Tantalizing, thrilling. Ultimately, I would call him like a rookie plus. He's more than a guy who's just athletic, but he's less than a guy who has fully harnessed his athleticism. He looks like a guy who's starting to figure it out, but hasn't put it all together yet. And I think you could see that in moments this season where He would make a mistake and then correct that mistake immediately and never make it again. To give you a good example, early in the season, the Packers played at Detroit, and there was an out route early in the game where Valdez Scantling ran the out but ran out of space on the sideline and ended up stepping on the line as he made the catch. But he had a similar play later in that game and then a couple more throughout the season where he got his feet in, and you could see, you just you watching his body language and his processing of the play, that he was making sure to get his feet down and not make that mistake again. He ran his route in such a way that he would have space when he was coming out of the break and turning back for the ball. He would give himself plenty of room on the sideline. That's really cool to see. 
and it says a lot about who he is as a player. 2019, I would say the floor is probably about 45 catches for him. At 15.3 yards per catch, which is what he had in 2018, that would put him close to 700 yards. 45 catches, 700 yards, that's pretty good quality number two, number three wide receiver type guy. Scheme him open is a huge buzz phrase right now, but he's the sort of guy who could benefit hugely from being schemed open. He's got so much speed and he kind of knows what to do with it more than you'd expect from a young receiver that just getting him in spaces where he can use that speed could be pretty amazing. Let's keep moving on here because we've got about half a draft class to go. Fortunately, some of these guys get to be a little bit easier to evaluate here. The key stats on J.K. Scott, the Packers punter. It all comes down to numbers with Scott, and the numbers paint a pretty interesting story compared to a year ago. He averaged 44.7 yards per punt. His net average was 38.8. He had 19 punts land inside the 20 on 71 kicks, 9 touchbacks this year, and 27 fair catches. Let's put those numbers in a little bit of context this year. Or how about last year? Compare them to another fairly successful rookie punter, Justin Vogel. He averaged 44.4 yards per punt, a little bit less than Mr. Scott. But his net average was 41.6, significantly more. He also landed 19 punts inside the 20 on 71 punts. But he had just two touchbacks and produced a nearly the same amount of fair catches with 24. So what was J.K. Scott in 2018? He wasn't quite Justin Vogel, but that may not be entirely his fault because the Packers weren't quite as good on punt coverage in 2018. He still, after that year, is a bit of a question mark of a draft pick and comes across as a little bit of a project of a punter, which is never good. The good thing about Justin Vogel is there was never a question about the kind of punter that he could become. It never felt that way last year to me. It was just like, this is the punter that he is, and this is the punter that he's going to be. And the Packers thought they could do a little bit better than that, and they didn't end up getting somebody who was a little bit better than that. Scott was consistently inconsistent in 2019. The floor for him is going down from where he was this year, becoming even more consistent. What is the ceiling? It's hard to say. How good can a punter be? There's a lot of stuff that a punter does that's out of his control, but he could stand to be a little bit more consistent. Moving along, Cole Madison. Remember Cole Madison. The key stat for him was that he was placed on the do not report list on July 25th and never came off. It's not a stat. It's just a thing that happened, but he didn't have any stats. So there you go. If you want a stat, we'll go zero. Zero stat. There are zero stats for him. Zero games played. Zero downs played. Zero time in Green Bay when he was supposed to be there. So what was he in 2018? A huge enigma. Never got to share my theory about him publicly because he never reported and talked about it. It's pretty widely publicized now, so if you want to figure it out out yourself, go track it down. I'm not going to speculate about my Cole Madison theories now if I don't know for sure. We'll see what happens if he ever shows up in Green Bay. But he also was the cause of a bit of a ripple effect. Byron Bell ended up being a bigger part of the Packers' plans than they had to have anticipated. Though I do wonder at times if the Packers knew something was coming with Cole Madison because they went out inside and Byron Bell a month before training camp. 
The Packers, though, could never get the guard spot right in 2018. And a big reason why was they didn't have their 2018 draft pick, who probably would have gotten every opportunity to win some significant playing time there. The floor and ceiling for Cole Madison is pretty wide in 2019. The floor is he's probably cut. If he doesn't show up for training camp again, that's probably it. Sorry, you can let some other team try to figure out what's going on and they may have some more patience, but um, the Packers probably would move on if he would choose to not report again. And that is his choice. Of course, he's got to figure out what's right for him. I feel like my tone about Cole Madison has been more negative than I feel. It shouldn't. Don't take it that way. Uh, He should get his life figured out and whatever's going on with him, he needs to get that straightened out. Football's a short time. Uh, life is long, and he should get get that right before anything else. Your job should never be the most important thing in your life, even if it is bring, being a professional athlete. The ceiling for him in 2019 is probably his starting offensive lineman for the Packers. They probably would have liked him to be that in 2018, at least at some point this year. Maybe they were hoping that Byron Bell would start out the season for the Packers at right guard and Cole Madison or Justin McRae would eventually take over, a little bit like they did with Jari Evans last year. That's not what ended up happening. But if he shows up for offseason stuff, if he um, can play like the player that they thought he was when they drafted him, there's no reason that he couldn't be a consistent contributor in 2019. Equinemius St. Brown. Fun guy to talk about, fun name to say. Key stats for him in 2018, 15.6 yards per reception actually ended up being more than the uh, big play Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And his 10 explosive plays this year were right there with MVS as well. So what was he in 2018? A little bit under the radar as a result of his counterpart at wide receiver and probably a victim of a disproportionate number of inaccurate Aaron Rodgers passes. Just an astonishing number of throws to uh, Equinemius St. Brown ended up being off target. I don't have a specific example for you off the top of my head. I could go track one down for you, but this is something that seemed to happen again and again and again in 2018. They would run a play that was clearly for him, And then Aaron Rodgers just would not deliver the ball on target, usually on a crossing route of some kind. Probably a deeper trend to look into there. Probably among the rookies, he was the most polished of the receivers, ran routes well, carried himself well on the field, just didn't get a lot of shots this year. The floor and ceiling on Equinemius St. Brown is also an interesting case. The floor is probably rookie year James Jones. Polished, productive, and got a lot of opportunities because of the team around him. And if the Packers don't add a receiver this offseason, and I think they could, Equinemius St. Brown stands to benefit from a lot more opportunities. The ceiling is probably year two Greg Jennings. He really harnessed his big play ability that year, Jennings that is, got a lot more chances, improved a lot, and ended up putting up some really good numbers as a result. I think that could be Equinemius St. Brown. Still a pretty wide range there, but I think I would still feel fairly confident about his chances going into uh, going into 2019. Two more to go: Kendall Donerson and Hunter Bradley. The numbers on Donerson, like Cole Madison, zero. Just never was able to unscrew himself from the bench this year, and that is a shame. What was he in 2018? Frustrating. Put him out there. Come on, he got nothing to lose. The season's over by late November. 
get them out there. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> I had nothing else to say because there isn't anything else to say. There's nothing more he could do. He couldn't do anything because he couldn't get on the field. The floor on Donerson is probably cut next year. Sad though that is to say, the only way that he can go down from where he was this year is to not be on the Packers at all in 2019 practice squad or otherwise. Ceiling is probably J. Ron Elliott, special teams guy, uh, occasional deep pass rusher. I think that'd be pretty good for him, like early career J. Ron Elliott before he started getting more play. I think that would be a pretty good role for Kendall Donerson in 2019. This is a guy who still played very low-level football uh, prior to the Packers picking him in the seventh round. So let's you know still have some fairly tempered expectations for him, exciting of a player though he may be. Finally, Hunter Bradley. Who cares? He's a long snapper. They can find another one. They're probably trying to find another one right now. To put, it, put that in context, he is their fourth different long snapper they've had on the active roster in two seasons. And I wouldn't bet a single dollar on him having a job in 2019. If I was under Bradley, I don't know if I'd bet on myself just because I know Brett Good is still out there. So there you have it. All of the Packers rookies, bit of a mixed bag from this class, but that's all I think that you can expect from your rookies. It's going to be a mixed bag. Some really solid performances, some really non-performances at all. That's, I guess, how I would describe it. While I've got you here, thank you so much for the reviews that you've been leaving on iTunes. Those have been great. And I've had a couple other people reach out in other ways. It is fantastic to hear from you guys. And I know we talk about other kinds of support, Patreon, Teespring, whatever, but it's that kind of support that I think makes the biggest difference to me. Knowing that there are people out there, people who care about the show, people who support us by just being there and listening and doing all of those things, that is the ultimate, I guess, high in a way from doing this. And I hope we get the opportunity to interact with a lot more people. So leave those reviews. We read all of them. We see them all. We read them all. And we really appreciate everything that you do uh, sharing this with other people. So I just wanted to take a second and thank you for that. You can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. You know how to operate all of those websites. Pretty easy by now. It's 2019. People know how to use the internet. Reach us if you would be so kind via email by typing the power sweep 1959 at gmail.com into the address bar of the email server program whatever of your choice if you would like to support us like i said reviews are great we read them all we appreciate them all thank you for doing those but if you'd like to support us financially patreon.com slash the power sweep throw in a dollar a month help us offset the costs of running this entire operation teespring.com is where we keep our fine t-shirt designs click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there and look good as you support the Power Suite. We do, as always, love to hear from you. Any feedback you give me, you give Gary, you give our families, I guess, helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Suite better and helps all of us to become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58. <laughs>